Welcome to Watermark. My name is John Elmore, and I serve with Regeneration and Pastoral Care. Today, we are continuing the Uncompromised series. And so, as we've been going through this as part of the Elders' Initiative to further equip the body for an ever-changing world. So today, in Uncompromised, we are talking race and racism. And as you can tell, I'm not alone today. We've got Marvin Walker, who is the campus pastor for South Dallas. Sierra Sanchez, who is the Women's Director of Regeneration, my counterpart on the team. And Oscar Castillo, who's the pastor of Watermark in Espanol that every Sunday at 11 o'clock meets in the loft. <laughs> Love it. And, and here's what I want to say, too, is it's not just who's here, it's who's not here as well. Because in actuality, like, this was, this was a struggle, like, phone conversations, meetings, grab people in the hallway, like, what do we do? Because... In reality, there should be 200 seats at this table. There should be 200 chairs to represent uh, all the different ethnicities and backgrounds and experiences and everything. Um, It's just not a reality because we'd be talking all over each other and it would be uh, uh, like a a week-long service instead of just today. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's difficult because we're like, you know what? We would love to have um, someone of Indian background, an Indian American or Native American, one of my friends who's um, half Native American. We'd love to have an Asian American. It was just like a difficulty and challenge. And so you need to know that in our heart. And then also, as we like frame up before we start the conversation, I think it's important too to address uh, where we're living right now. Like what's going on nationally? And I would imagine everybody's familiar with the headlines, but to just like set the stage, so to say, uh, Mickey has mentioned critical race theory. So CRT starting as an academic theory and then moving into the public school curriculum, it's become an everyday part of the conversation that you're probably having at work and with friends and various other places, that's common. Ahmaud Arbery, right now his trial is being, uh, that's being heard and argued whether Ahmaud's killing um, was racially motivated. That's part of what's going on right now in real time. You have cities that have been on fire after the death of an individual in a public outcry to defund police um, because of the racial tension and strife that's there. But then you have others where sometimes it's like we can have the conversation about race and it becomes like black, brown, white, and the Asian American population has been coined the forgotten race because they're like, hey, is anyone going to address what we're going through as attacks, murders, um, racism against Asian Americans is on the increase. And so Suni Lee, who's a gold medalist from the Tokyo Olympics just now, she, Oscar, pointed me to this article, like as we were preparing for this panel, he's like, man, did you know this just happened? Somebody drove by in a car, sprayed pepper mace all over Suni while shouting racial slurs at her. Just like a random day there on the street. And then there's the border crisis just to our south that is a crisis. Uh, next week, Oscar's going to talk more about immigration and international persecution, but that's happening right here at our own state border and all the families that have been separated, hopefully now being reunited. So that's something that we've got to talk about. And then you also have uh, Gabby Petito, that I think we all probably know her name now. And it's a tragedy. She was uh, taken, killed by her fiance, and, 
and left. And now, as internationally, people know Gabby Petito's name, it's wrong that we don't know the names of the hundreds of Native American women who have been sexually assaulted, yeah. abducted, and murdered. We don't know a single name, and yet Gabby Petito rolls off our tongue. And so there, there is a disparity there. There's some kind of difference. And so we've got to talk about race and racism as we engage in this uncompromised series, that we would live uncompromised as Christians in this cancel culture. Now, that's the national view, but we've got to think also personally. Like, where are we individually? And it's going to be a spectrum. And so there's, there's some that are unintentionally unaware, where it's like, well, that, I'm, I'm not a racist. Like, I don't hate other people. That's not like, that's not who I am. Mm. And so there's this, um, there can be a passivity, an apathy, and an unintentionally unawareness. And we hope today in this conversation that would move more towards understanding and action and empathy. And then there's probably the other side of the spectrum where it's like, finally, finally the church is, is, is talking about this and speaking into it because I'm living in that reality. And from my life I have under uh, injustice or oppression or racism or whatever it may be. And we would hope that today uh, you would be met with compassion and hear truths that are spoken as we collectively, as the church, are addressing these things. Because while we can't change the past, here we are, church, in the present uh, with thousands who can go out and live as salt and light. And then there's the biblical context. So national, personal, and then just biblically. Like God addresses this throughout the scriptures. And so from the beginning, you know, he says, he sees that mankind's heart was bent on evil at all times. And so he sends the flood, Noah and his family, they land the boat. And he says the same divine mandate that he gives to Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He's giving it again to them, he's entrusting them, be full, fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But they're like, nah, we're not gonna do that. And so they come together, build the Tower of Babel. We don't wanna worship God, we wanna be like God. And so God's like, no, that's not the offense we're running. Scrambles the languages, sends them out, we get ethnicities over all the earth. He is gonna you know, fill and subdue the earth, whether mankind will or will not. But then he gives also to the Jews, you're gonna be a light to the nations, and he says, and my temple where I dwell will be a house of prayer for the nations. That there was supposed to be this gathering in of all peoples to meet Yahweh, to live with him. But it didn't happen. And so then in the intertestamental period, as um, Israel was taken captive to Assyria and there was intermarrying, and then they returned these uh, half Jew, half Assyrian return to the land because they want to worship. The Jews then have this like racist mentality and division, separation, segregation between the Samaritans and the Jews. And then there's Jew and Gentile. And it's just division after division after division that's happening throughout the scriptures. But then you have the introduction of the gospel where it's to go and make disciples of all nations and then in Acts 6, not long after the Great Commission is given, and he says, when the Spirit comes upon you to go to every nation, mm. then in Acts 6, just chapters later, the Greeks are like, hey, the Hellenistic widows are starving. You're feeding the Jewish widows. No one's feeding the Greek widows. What's going on? And they repent. And they raise up people to go specifically to care for all all the widows and not just some. And so you see it there as well. Then you've got Philemon, the letter to Philemon where Paul writes and he says, 
about this runaway slave, Onesimus. And Paul says, how you treat him is not as a slave, but as a brother. And you treat Onesimus, you receive him back as you would receive me, the apostle Paul. Because in Christ, there's not slave nor free. We are all equal and one together. This scripture, God cares about it so much. And here's the reality, church, is that we've always had the solution, like God's given it to us. He's entrusted it to us, not the culture. He has given the solution to the church to be salt and light. But sadly and unfortunately, we have not always been the loudest voice, and we have not always been the most with action. We've got a chance. This is our day, and here we are living, and so we need to start the conversation. So we're going to. And with that being said, I'm looking to my left, and I think, you know what? Let's scrap the whole thing. Why don't you just preach? Well, shoot. Okay. Go, Marvin, Let me go. do that then, John. If you're going to tap me in, open up your Bibles. Let's get going. Let's do this. In the next hour and a half, we're going to be talking. No. That's, that's not what's happening. Preach. 35 minutes just isn't enough. I could preach to you for that time and talk to you, but for a topic like this, 35 minutes just is not enough. But what I do want to do this morning, church, is as we're at this table, I want to invite you to this table because it's at a table like this that, as a family, we can have a discussion and talk about the heavy, hard topic of race and racism. So now, let's talk about it and get that conversation going. Thank you, Marvin. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs> so, uh, I would have that, was a, that was another decision that we had to face. Like, should we just let somebody just preach? But Oscar could go as well, and it's just be amazing. Um, here's the thing. Uh, First point, like we, Oscar and I were sitting around um, my fire pit in my backyard and we're talking, we're talking about where we're going to go with this. And this was one of the first points is that um, the differences are beautiful, all right? Like that's what God made them. He created them and they glorify him. But with man, differences divide. With man, our differences divide. With God, our differences glorify him. It's a thing of beauty. And he did that. It says in Acts 17, 26, from one man, He created every nation. This is from Noah to go and fulfill. But yet here we are in this place of like rampant division. And so I know it's something you feel passionate about because we've talked about it. So why don't you kick it off here? Yeah, no, I mean, as we were sitting around, you know, it's so easy to kind of go to what today's headlines are and kind of let that define uh, even the terms. But we got to go back to scripture and you see that in God's nature, like in who he is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. That word is three in one, Mm. Trinity. You see that he is also the God of the universe. That word universe, unity and diversity. All of it has been created by him. And as John said, God created diversity to reveal who he is. But man in his sinful heart takes that and separates it and totally deviates from God's plan. You see, even the word university is actually uh, indicative of us having to have a posture of learning, of teaching one another, unity and diversity. And that is the only way we'll be able to really accomplish God's agenda, God's plan for all of us today. And as you think about um, you know, living in a world that is so diverse and then having a lens in how God sees it, so then what happens then whenever we don't do that. Look at what James chapter two says, verse eight and nine. It talks about how it, when, we, when we don't follow and we don't see and do what God designed from the beginning, we are also guilty of the sin of partiality. 
And see, that word sin, if you're new today, um, I, want, I want to define that for you. That word means the words, actions, desires, and intentions that are not aligned with God's heart, that are not aligned with God's character, God's nature. So when we do those things, when we sin against the Lord and also our brothers, we are not completing his mission. So partiality then comes in, and what do we do? We do that which God does not desire, and it's to separate. You see, God wants that unity. So partiality is treating others differently and many a times with the wrong motives. Now, the word racism, that is placing, whether it be your skin color, whether it be your socioeconomic status, whatever it may be, that racism is putting your race above others, and even it can lead to hatred. And so racism is actually an outworking of this sin of partiality, right? So when you start to be partial and let your eyes, instead of God's eyes in perspective, lead your interactions with one another, we start to commit the sin of partiality, which then leads to racism. So God is at work, and I see it. I just met my, my brother Tommy here. He's new today. And he, he, he came and he Googled, and now he's here, and I get to meet him. And God is bringing so many people from across the world to come here to Watermark. And we have an opportunity to experience that which God desires, because diversity is a reflection of God and his character and glory. I don't want to miss what you said there as you define partiality and racism. I think it's really important because as we think like, well, I'm not a racist. Mm. You just said, if we have partiality in our lives and that's unchecked, un, we don't respond to the conviction of the spirit, that that will consummate, like that will be racism. Like that's where that leads. That's what you're saying. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's like wise for all of us to consider because we're all going to be given to partiality in different ways at different times. Like that's what our flesh goes to. That's, that's why we're here in the state of the world. And if there's not repentance from that, it will lead to an ultimate racism. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I love what you were saying, Oscar, of diversity reflects God and it glorifies him. Mm. And so Truly, all of us, we have different ethnicities and races and different giftings in this body, and that is beautiful, and it should be celebrated. Um, and it's something that we should strive for as the church. Um, but when I say that word strive, some people would say, well, why should we strive for that? Mm. And there's kind of two verses that I often go to, one that probably everyone in this room knows, Matthew 6.10, we can probably quote it, um, when it says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if that's our goal on earth as it is in heaven, then the next question is what does heaven look like? Mm. And instead of trying to describe it, I'm just gonna read, read straight from Revelation 7, 9 through 10. And it says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Guys, can you all imagine that? That every people group is standing before the Lord, worshiping him all together as one big united family. 
And like that is just such a beautiful picture. And so on earth as it is in heaven is something that we should aim for. And I think as a church, what we've done is that as we create this culture of oneness, which is good and biblical and right, um, but sometimes it allows us to miss the beauty of our differences in our different cultures. Um, And and we don't want that to be. Um, And so instead, I pray that we as a church would celebrate those things um, and that not only globally would we be able to do that, but that we would do it here in our church. And so may it be so of our church. And when I think about that in general, I think about a picture of a mosaic Um, and you put all these different types of pieces together. They're different shapes and sizes and different colors. And so truly you're taking beautiful or broken pieces and making a beautiful picture. That is a picture of the church, which is just so cool that we get to be a part of that and we get to be united as one and represent that to other people. Why'd you look at me when you said broken Broken pieces. Because we're all is this, broken. Is there, some, is there something there that we need? Yeah. There, there's a ministry on Monday nights called Regeneration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the picture of the mosaic because that's what it ought to be, Sierra. And um, this isn't a new topic, race and racism. This isn't brand new to us. But what I am extremely grateful for, I want to take this in, is that as a church we're talking about this when a huge headline didn't come out last night mm. or this week. And we're addressing it, and we're talking through it. You know, I've had friends that I know genuinely love me. And they've come to me and said, Mar, man, I want you to know that I don't see color. I'm colorblind, and I love you. And I'm like, I get the motive. I get what's being said. And the intentions are to be hurtful, but it can come across that way. I've received it like that. And the father of lies, Satan himself, he begins to feed me lies because that can be divisive. But again, I understand the sentiment. I do. But the truth in that is, and I want to read from Galatians 3, the truth in it all is that there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul was saying that, he wasn't saying that we ought to be colorblind or even uniformed. That's not what he was telling them. He was calling the Galatian church to unity. And that's not uniformity, but unity. He's not saying overall we got to just all be the same. To say that you're colorblind and to use that language is to say that you're blind to somebody's personhood. Hmm. Yeah, it's dismissing their personhood and the distinct uniquenesses that God has given them. If you have participated in thinking like that or even using that language, I know it may be tough, but we ought to celebrate in our church the different races we come across. Celebrate them. And even for those who may have been hurt by that language and have been frustrated because they've heard that language, I also want to challenge you to move towards that person to said it, to acknowledge the hurt. Let people know where you're at because it is all of us. As the church of Jesus Christ, we all, we all have a ministry of reconciliation mm-hmm. that we're called to. And that's the Lord calling us to be in harmony mm-hmm. together because the beauty of the body of Christ is that we can celebrate and maintain unity as well as uniqueness, mm-hmm. both. It's great. So uh, I hear you say celebrate 
the uniqueness and the personhood, and I think there's also, if someone were to say, hey, I'm colorblind, it, it also can be dismissive yeah. of past experiences and the, and the trouble and strife and whatever has been a part of not just the individual's life, but even like historical and generational. Most definitely. Yeah. It's dismissive of that, like, oh, I, don't, I don't see that. And it's like, man, then you don't know the reality that my family and I have, have walked in in addition to just celebrating the differences. Good job. Yeah. When, when Sierra talks about mosaic, I'm like, imagine if there's a mosaic that's all just like the same color pieces. <laughs> it's no longer a mosaic. It's just like, I don't know, broken parts of the same color. No, like nobody wants that art. It's, it is the different pieces that make up that whole that do make it beautiful. That's, that's where the value comes from. When I, when I go to the state fair, I've, I've thought this every time. I'm new to Texas. We didn't, Missouri State Fair wasn't a thing, but like here, I go to the Dallas State Fair and I'm like, dude, this is Dallas. Like here we are, or, or Texas rather. I'm like, this is, this is it. Like it just, you see all, everybody together, everybody having a good time, enjoying each other. It's like, here we are. And I wish it was more and more so the case within the church and that it wasn't just happening at the fair once a year. And I went to Brooklyn Tabernacle once and I remember thinking this, man, it was a rock in my shoe. I came back, I was like, I'll never forget it because there was no majority and minorities. It was just people. There, there was not a majority of, of, of anyone. It was just every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping together. This is the most beautiful thing. And y'all, we live in Dallas. Like all the nations are here. Like one of the largest refugee populations, internationally displaced people groups. We have all the different ethnicities here in Dallas. And the more that this happens in church will be a beautiful thing that will reflect God's heart in the scriptures that we've been looking at. And so I, I long for that. And here's the thing. It's not going to happen because we had a, a message on it. The way that's going to happen is by the thousands of us walking out these doors and making an invitation like, hey, would you join me at church? Mm. And uh, that this expression of the local church would look more like the kingdom. Hey, John, could yeah. Could we like bring the food from the state fair too? Like, you know, you're like, talking corn dogs? Corn dogs. The cor- well, no, they're talking about the tacos, you know, like the good stuff. <laughs> and listen, <laughs> because that's what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to eat, guys. Totally. So let's totally. Have state we're all going to feast every together. Sunday, guys. We're every feast Sunday. together. <laughs> hey, I think we need to go back to, uh, to partiality mm. because I'm guessing, you know, and there may be some, they're like, no, no, like racism, like that's a thing in my life. But I, I don't think that's probably the case for the majority. I think the majority of the people are like, I think it's partiality. Like I think that's where we are um, in our lives in varied degrees throughout. And so I'm going to define the term again, uh, where it came from. Partiality is a, it's a 15th century word that means unjust or unreasonable preference. Like there's no reason, justice for it or reason to it. It just is. There's a preference towards it. And in Romans 2.11, it says, for there is no partiality with God. Why? Because he made all people and he desires all to come to Christ. But then sin enters in and breaks that down. And so there, there's um, to be partial or racism anywhere on that, the partiality that leads to racism is to mock God. Like he created all people, as it said in Acts 17, from one man he created all nations. So to treat others differently is to mock the creator in what he did. And I think um, also it's good to take a look around like at your life. And if you think like, you know what? Every area of my life kind of looks the same. Uh, That may not be just a population density thing. That could be 
a partiality thing, and I think it's good for us to think about. So what, what more on the topic of partiality as we talk about this? I mean, I think one of the things that I like about scripture is that it truly is there's nothing new under the sun. And so I'm gonna focus in on one person because I think it it's very much speaks to what you were just talking about. So Peter, um, in if you see him in Acts 2, he's literally preaching a sermon to 17 different people groups, 17 different people groups. And he's saying that we are called to be one. You see in scripture where it says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Like, hey, we are one, we are together, we are one body. And then you also see him in Acts 10. And so in Acts 10, you see him, Peter, with Cornelius, and he is Italian. He's of Italian descent. And so again, we're already bringing people together. And then he says this, and I think it's beautiful, Acts 10, 35 and 36, it says, um, or 34 through uh, 35, and it says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then 36 says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Mm. Like in that one verse, it's no partiality, every nation, and God, or good news of peace. That is the gospel. All of those things, it is the gospel that he's preaching. But then in Galatians 2, the same Peter that was just standing there preaching and saying all these things to these individuals, and then what you see in Galatians 2 is that he then separates. Mm. He's saying, you know what, I am gonna stay with the Jews, and he kind of pulls himself away from the Gentiles. He's doing the literally the same thing that he was teaching against just mm. a few chapters before. And then his sweet friend Paul comes to him and says, hey man, I think you forgot. I think you've forgotten what you've been teaching. You forgot what you have been saying to all of these individuals and he's calling him and reminding him back and saying, God shows no partiality. And then I think what's just so cool about that is that kind of touching back to what you were just saying, Marvin, of if maybe that's you, maybe you've unintentionally said something, maybe being colorblind or, or you've said something that might be hurtful to others. I realize in that moment, there can be a lot of guilt and shame of like, man, I feel like I can't do anything right. I'm walking on eggshells. I don't know what to do or what to say or how to handle things. And that is never God's intention and that is never our intention here at this table. Um, but I, I think Paul, just like he's calling Peter to repent, he's saying, hey, when, when you miss it, when you um, hurt someone, when you maybe cause some division, repent. Turn away from that and go back to what God's design was, which is no partiality. Can I share something on that real yeah. quick? This, this is interesting. I was looking at the passage last night, and Paul writes, and he says, Peter, Peter, Peter. And then he changes his name mid-paragraph and says Cephas or Cephas, as it would be pronounced in Aramaic. And it seems like what may be happening is he's addressing him by his name, which means the same, Peter and Cephas, but then he switches to Cephas or Cephas because that's what Jesus called him. And I think in that moment, what he may be doing is Paul saying, Cephas, like remember what your master called you and what he called you to, mm -hmm. as he goes back to his, the name that Jesus gave him. Yeah. 
That's so good. And, and I think it's also saying, hey, Peter, like, don't do that. And then I think it's calling us that we shouldn't do what Peter was doing, that he was separating himself. Because what we would call that is tribalism, and, and we always want to use definitions. And so tribalism is defined as a strong loyalty to one's own tribe or even social group. And, and I truly think it's easy for us to do that, like moving towards people who look like us or ha- have the same activities as us. It's just easy to do that. Especially if you're hurt or uncomfortable or... Absolutely. And I think even just a confession here on the stage of, I can easily do that. I mean, I work at Watermark, my friends are at Watermark, my community's at Watermark, everyone that I have direct contact with is at Watermark. And I can often ask myself, man, what does it look like to step outside that bubble um, and pursue others who don't look like me, who don't think like me, who maybe don't love Jesus at all? What does it look like for me to get out of that bubble and step out of my comfort zone and go towards people? And I just think about, my interactions with people, and I'd really challenge you guys to do that as well, of who are you consistently around, whether it's your dentist or your doctor or maybe your kid's soccer team or whatever sports team or maybe even the grocery store that you often shop at. What do people look like around you? Are we often stepping outside and pursuing others and inviting them to coffee and inviting them to lunch and just having relationships with one another with people who maybe don't look like us or think like us? And I think we're called to it. I mean, you see in John 17, the word one is consistent that we are called to be one over and over again. And if for no other reason, we pursue it because it's what our savior desires and he's worthy of that. And Man, I just pray that our church would be an example of that. And so, like I said before, let it be so of us. So, Sierra and I served together on the region team. This is actually one of the things, what she's talking about is one of the things I love most about the region team. We've got like a deep, like family extension of community bond. Um, Sierra is Hispanic. We've got Bryce Nguyen, who's multi-ethnic, part Native American, part Asian American, part white. Um, Y'all, we even have somebody from Louisiana on the team. (laughs) Shout out Carter. Yeah, Emily She's Carter. Um, That's and one of the things that we'll do too, like we'll be like, we'll be like, you know, after a Monday or whatever, hey, let's all go grab uh, bubble tea. Uh, true confession, addiction to that. And there's one right here by Watermark. Uh, but we don't. We actually get in the car, leave Dallas, go to Richardson, um, to this little place specifically for what Sierra's talking about, to get out of the bubble, so to say, and go be with people that are different in a good way. And so we'll meet with Ni and Aisha, who's of Asian American descent and probably Middle Eastern Indian descent to go befriend them and love them. And uh, it's, it's very intentional, it's inconvenient, and it's very intentional. Absolutely. Yeah, and so if I could just double click on, you know, you talked about many times when we think about partiality, we can think about only those people we exclude, mm-hmm. right? But we also got to think through the people we do include. Because many a times, because of our sinful heart, we can include people because they gave us, they give us some access, some special access, or they're going to give us a relationship, or you see what I'm saying? Like our hearts can just be sinful and have the wrong motives. So we don't, don't only look at the people you exclude, but also look and see and take it to the Lord and say, hey, why am I having this person around? And so may the Lord lead us in that as a church. Marvin. You've been way too quiet, bro. I know you got more to say. I'm getting stirred up over here, man. <laughs> What's going on? I'm waiting, waiting for you to tap me in. I really want to go to the direction of critical race theory. I know we talked about it a little bit. Mickey brought it up. John's touched on it. Uh, but this is a hot topic, and people have their various opinions, and it's in this point of our conversation at the table that I want to challenge you not to base your stance off your favorite speaker, 
what your favorite talking head has said, but instead, really, where do we land? Where do you land when it comes to God's word? Because at times we make CRT the heart of the matter. We make it, okay, this is going to be our starting point. But as the church, that ought to not be the case. But something we do want to address is that the people that developed critical race theory, they were doing so because they saw a problem. They saw something wrong. Well, just like the church, we also see a problem, but the issue is our solution is different. Their solution they proposed was, hey, break everything down, then rebuild it, and if you tear it down and rebuild it, it'll be, no, it'll still be broken because we live in a broken world, and because sin is in our world, world, it's still going to be distorted by sin. So our solution is injecting this, God's word, knowing that that is healing and restoration is only, only going to come through God's word. That's it. It's only going to come through Jesus. So with that, I want to go now to 2 Kings and thinking about the story of King Josiah and how he showed up. He gives us, as a king in that time, more of a KRT than a CRT. You're like, what? Okay. What's KRT? Tell us. Kingdom race truth. It's more of just, you know what, let's call it that because Josiah shows us that as the people of God, we got to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word Always, above all else, above our preferences, yep, the things we prefer, our opinions, and even our traditions. It's got to start at God's word. What did King Josiah do? He weeped, he lamented, he missed the mark. And I want to read it, 2 Kings 22. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of, law, book of the law, what did he do? He tore his clothes. In 2 Kings twenty two thirteen, 13, he then says, hey, go inquire for the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book. It's now been found for the great wrath of God is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words in this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. It was King Josiah that was affected to his core at a personal level because he recognized and realized how far he was from God's word. In the middle of rebuilding the temple, he realized, dang, there's generations of people that have missed the truth. Generations of people. And even thinking of James 1, 25. I want to read that now. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. Looking into the perfect law. Jesus said that's the law of love. As he, described it, he described it in the great commandment. We violated that, though, by simply not going out and loving people because maybe they just don't look like what we see in the mirror. James says before that verse, something like, hey, you wouldn't go to Chipotle, eat a bowl, have cilantro all up in your teeth, look in the mirror and be like, I'm good. I'm not going to respond to it. You just wouldn't do that. You would respond to it. And you're, you're going to respond to that problem, but we should also be responding to hurting neighbors and hurting friends because we're called to love our neighbors, even if we disagree with them. Now, love, this type of love, God's love, it's not easy, but it's committed. And we can disagree, but we don't have to be people who are disagreeable. And to end this little piece here, to end this, I'm thinking of the last verse in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, right before that love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that we all love. Paul says, I want to call you to a more excellent way to love. Before he gets into describing it, I want to call you to this more excellent way. So we can't just say that CRT is a bad solution and then offer nothing. Like Josiah, see the sin, 
mourn the sin, and then land and stand on what's written. Loving our Lord and loving our neighbors is a beautiful solution to all this, and it's such a much better stance than we ought, that we ought to take as believers. It just is. You, you know what just happened? Talk to me. Half the people in the room just decided to go to South Dallas. Come on, bring it, <laughs> bring it. Uh, so good. And I think what we need to do is John, now could, like. Could I just, could I just, I gotta say this. Yeah. There's a more excellent way than Chipotle. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen, there's gotta discover all these different foods, okay? So don't go to Chipotle, guys. There's something better in heaven. <laughs> We'll, we'll put uh, Oscar's recommendations in the Thank sermon you. notes, apparently. Uh, I want to move this to practical application now. So, like, they're going to walk out, and you get a chance to tell them, like, this is then how we live. Like, in light of these truths, in light of what culture is saying, here's how we live. And I think how I want to frame it up is empathy over apathy. So, uh, how we live this out. And uh, empathy, well, let's, let's go apathy first. So, it's a word, A means without pathos from feelings, so, so without feelings. Apathetic is like, nah, it doesn't affect me. I don't have feelings about it because it's not me. Empathy, M, the prefix is in. So in feeling, I'm in this with you. And so empathy over apathy. And now tell them what to do. How do we live this out? I mean, I'll just start. I think, again, going to God's word is so important. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 25, and 26, it says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And I mean, I think that's exactly what we're talking about is when we are apathetic and we say, well, this doesn't apply to me or, you know, I, I don't really know a lot of information, so I'm just going to stay out of it. It's like, no, we are called when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And so we are called to empathy. Um, and when we do that, it's an opportunity to understand another person's experiences. We're actually putting ourselves in their shoes now, the reality is when it comes to disparities and racism, and racism, and the list goes on, the bottom line is that the perception of where we are and how we got there, and maybe even why the cycles continue or don't continue, those answers are always gonna be different between different ethnicities and races. I mean, if we did a poll in this room, I guarantee you we would all have different answers which is an even higher call and challenge that we have to be able to listen. We have to listen and lean in and empathize. I mean, just a quick illustration of sympathy versus empathy is sympathy is if someone falls in a hole and you look down and you say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry you're in a hole that's really hard, I'll see if I can help, versus empathy that says, I'm gonna get in the hole with you and I've never been here, I don't know how to get out, but let's figure it out together. I mean, that's literally what Galatians 6.2 is calling us to, that says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, that we get to carry one another's burdens as the body of Christ, as we seek to be one. And being part of the body of Christ is being committed to feeling and, and seeking to understand the pain that others are going through. And that starts, again, with listening and empathizing, because I think truly empathy creates pathways to connections. My friend Mandy um, this past week just even shared that, that as we create those connections, it allows for relationships. And while relationships are built, that is an opening for healing. 
And then through healing, we move to reconciliation. And in that, how sweet is it that the church gets to be an example of what it looks like to empathize and to lean in and to be one. I mean, one of the greatest examples that is true of my life, um, I have two friends, Holly and Jen, who early 2018, we sat in my room um, and we were talking about the topic of racism and how I have been impacted by that. And we had been living together for two years and they said, why have you never shared this with us? And I was honest and I said, I feel like I can't. Um, and it brings me to tears because it was such an impactful moment. Um, and my, my friends met me and they said, hey, but we love everyone the same. And then I got to lean in even more, just like Marvin talked about before. And I said, when you say that, sometimes that can invalidate my feelings. And here's how I feel. And here's what's going on. And they sat with me and they cried with me on my floor in my bedroom. And it was a picture of what empathy looks like that they did not understand. And that one conversation didn't change their experiences, but allowed them to see into how I was feeling and what was going on. And that is a picture of what the church should look like. So that when people look in and they say, why are they unified? Why do they love each other like that? And we get to say, it's not because of what I learned in school. It's not because of what CRT, it's not because of anything. It is because of who Jesus is and that he calls us to love and to lean in and to move towards people. And they just did what Romans um, 12, 10 says, that we are to love one another with brotherly affection. And then in Romans 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that is exactly what they did for mm. me. And it was beautiful. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. yeah what and, else? Yeah, and I, would, I, I think what I would tell you is God is doing something amazing here in our Watermark family, right? And so as, as Sierra has said about empathy, I've sat across uh, from friends who have, who have lighter skin, right? What the, what the culture says, white. And they feel guilt. And they feel all this like, wait, well, I just feel like I can't even say anything because everything is taken just negatively. And all I would tell you is, draw in, familia, look at me. You're not Jesus. You cannot save anyone from sin. Only, the only thing you can do is present Jesus in these moments. And that requires doing what Jesus did, right? And so I want to free you from that because that is putting yourself back in bondage. You can be free in Christ. And it is okay to be awkward sometimes. Listen, it's, it's, it's okay in family, you can bring up these topics unless somebody else is lying, they won't bring it up. But in family, we should be able to say, hey, I really don't know what to say. Would you teach me? Would you lead me? And so as we have a diverse Watermark family, we have 70 plus countries in our membership. That is amazing. That is only God. And then, I mean, a shameless plug here, Watermark in Espanol is meeting right now, 11.15, in the loft. Right, there and goes so, the other half of the room. Yeah, there you go, come on. <laughs> Listen, when you come, you may, you may get mariachis, who knows, you know, like, it happens. <laughs> but listen, all I would tell you is come, we're gonna greet you with a holy, wet, sloppy kiss, and no, I'm kidding. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna treat you well, but we would love to just bridge those connections and really relate to one another because it's in those moments where we come together that God is glorified. And I would just tell you, start with your community groups, right there. There's actually a, a, a good resource on watermark.org forward slash addressing racism. Go there and start having that conversation. Then invite other community groups and you'll start to see God at work. And that is our prayer for you today. 
You know no one heard anything you said after you said sloppy wet kiss. <laughs> Listen, was... it's part of being a family. It's not sloppy, it's just like... It's <laughs> oh, man. No, it's sloppy. <laughs> All right, Marvin, take well, us home. Well, well there's, there's no sloppy kissing happening in South Dallas, but 1115, uh, up in the loft. No shame. I, I, wanna, I also want to go back to, to empathy um, and just taking a minute there to, to think about where I'm at because I have a bride, Amber, who is half black, and half Hispanic, and I have friends that are biracial and families that I know. And that's also a people group who are just in a space of tension, who we could move towards and show that empathy and just have conversations because sometimes they don't know where to start. My kids are biracial. I want to share a story about a friend of mine who is a white guy who goes to the dentist and his hygienist is black. And as he shows up to the dentist last year, when racial tension is at a height in our nation, he sits in the chair, looks at his hygienist and says, with all that's going on, where are you? How are you? What are you feeling? And this dude in his 20s is talking to a woman, black woman in her late 40s, asking that question. She then stops looks at him and says, in 49 years of life, nobody has ever asked me that. That's what moving towards looks like. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's tough. But he leaned in. That makes me think about John 4, specifically verse 4, very short. But he needed to go through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. That he is Jesus. But Jesus had an option. But instead, he chose it to be his mission to go through to Samaria. He had to, the verse says. He had to. Most Jews hated Samaria so much that they were willing to take the long route and go completely around it. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Church, we got to move from being spectators to shalom chasers. Come on. The peace of God. Chasing the peace of God and not sitting on the sideline as a church and using the words colorblind and using the words CRT as a language, as an excuse, really, to say, oh, you know what? That stuff is dividing us. Come on. We're not showing up for that. We're not here for that. But set that aside and realize that we are called to make peace and pursue peace. Preach. Romans 12, 18. Let's read it. Do all that you can. If possible, so far as depends on you, do all that you can to do what? To live peaceably with all. Hebrews 12, 14, another verse. Pursue peace with who? Strive for peace with who? Everyone, everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And again, James 3, 18. I want to read that. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We are called in just a few verses to be those who make and pursue peace. But from all that we just said, how can you make peace if you're not willing to move towards it? We have to move towards people. And I'm sure that we can land on and agree that, you know what, systemic change, yes, it needs to happen, but it, it starts in the church house. Amen. Not the White House, not your friend's house, but in your house. And we can do it here in the Lord's house. Jesus gives us this example in John 4 about moving against the grain and moving towards people. He went towards this woman at the well. People avoided her. And he drew near to her. He met her where she was at. And the second commandment, which Jesus says, you know what, it's similar to the first, is to love our neighbor. 
Who is that? Everyone. Anyone. And lastly, I want to sit back, because this is tense, it is, and ask you the question, what is it? What is it that God's really inviting you into in this moment? What might it be? And I hope you don't shrug your shoulders and just go, nothing. I hope that's not the case. Because if John 4 is true, and it is, then we too, we ought to be going through our Samarias. Because there are people who are thirsty, Mm. waiting at wells for you to pursue them and make peace with them, waiting for us to make peace, but you've got to move towards, we have to move towards being peacemakers, the peacemakers of this generation that God has called us to be in this year, because it's in our peacemaking and our love toward each other and our neighbors that the world out there gets an opportunity to see the light and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach, amen. Y'all, let's give a round of applause to our panelists here. And I, uh, I, want, I want to close with this. Um, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, he knows that um, he, he asked some people, he said, hey, how is our land? Because he was in captivity away. And they said, it's not good. Our city lies in ruins. Our people are in despair and destitute. And so he mourns, fasts, weeps, and he prays. And he confesses the sins of himself and of his people. And he prays to the Lord. And then he goes before the king, goes before his sovereign. And and the king says, "Why why are you sad? And explains to him what's going on with his people. And then the king gives him everything he needs to go back to that place to bring order and peace to the chaos. And I want us to pray that with that in mind. The words of Nehemiah. So let's pray. Um, Father, we are, uh, we are looking to you, our sovereign, confessing the sins of partiality and racism in our land and the destitution and despair that it has brought. And it grieves us, but may it not stay there. And so, Lord, would you give us what we need that is your will for our land, the salt and light that will bring healing, the shalom that Marvin just spoke of to bring peace. It will only happen through you. And so lead us, Lord, in all of our different lives, every circle of influence we are in. May we bring about your kingdom as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.